I have a challenge this morning, as, as is generally true on any given Sunday morning. But I want to get us back into the book of Ephesians. I don't want to just like let that thing dangle somewhere, right? That's important. And my goal is to try to give us uh, or, or to give to you some handles by which you would really understand the book of Ephesians so that when we're all done, it's not just a blur of, of information and unrelated thoughts and snippets of information and this and that, but it, like you really have a sense of like the order, the direction of the book. Let me just pull this thing over here a little bit. Weird techno stuff. Okay, better. So, um, <clears throat> so we're in chapter 4, and chapter 4 is the, as you know, the practical section of the book. 1 through 3 is doctrinal, all this wonderful, rich teaching about who we now are in Christ and all of that. Then we get into the practical section. And the practical section is difficult because it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. All right, there is so much information, teaching, instruction, boom, being like shot out in chapter uh, 4 and chapter 5 that it's hard to like land on a certain spot and go, okay, we'll, we'll do a message on anger because the Bible says be angry and do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. So, okay, anger. But if we did that with this book and kind of, micro uh, divided it into all of these many, many things, it, I think it would get a little tedious. And I think also it would slow us down. It would bog us down. And I think that we might miss the big picture. We might miss the forest by looking at all the trees, if you understand what I'm saying, right? So I'm, <clears throat> I've been trying to uh, decide or discover a way by which we can present this um, and, and kind of package it, bundle it, maybe a good way of, of thinking about it, bundle it um, all together so that all of this teaching, again, it's like Paul comes out with all this stuff, like snippets and sound bites of, of instruction, admonition, and all of it is really important teaching, but it's kind of given like rapid fire, all these different words of instruction. Um, <clears throat> and it's like it's, it's, it's a it's a mile wide, but it's an inch deep in terms of the actual instruction, the depth of instruction that he's giving. He's just throwing out a ton of different things. So um, what I decided on ultimately is to get another clicker. There we go. I actually, Peter, blessed young man that he is um, for his pastor, got us a brand new system. So I hopefully, I, it worked pretty well in the first service. I won't have to do that. Mm. I'm th last time I was done, I'm thinking like, this has got to make everybody feel like really uncomfortable. You know, real sorry for me. Oh, poor Pastor Steve, he's up there struggling with this stupid thing. I wanted to get like some decent technology, something that works, you know, like that. So, <clears throat> so Peter, God bless you. Thank you for uh, procuring this new and very fancy schmancy little techno toy by which we can move our slides forward anyway. What we want to talk about is, are these three words, okay? Sit, walk, stand. Say them with me. Sit, walk, stand. If you know those three words, you really will have kind of a pretty solid overview on how the book of Ephesians is put together. And we're going to cover that this morning. And again, and this, again this is um, kind of the view from 5,000 feet. Right? We want this to be the, uh, the big picture because we want to get back into this book. We've been going through it, going through it, kind of progressing through it, trying to pick up all the, all the gems along the way. Um, 
But now we've got this one section which has got like this, this ton of information that's coming at us. And, uh, and, and again, we want to try to put all this together. But if you remember these three words, sit, walk, stand, then you will kind of know the basic order or the basic direction um, of the book, the basic themes. That's probably a better way of saying it. You would know the, the basic themes that kind of govern over the, uh, the, these um, many, many, many passages of Scripture that, that we want to somehow bundle together here. Let me just give you a, a quick, for instance, um, here are just some of the, uh, the little snippets, right? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, I could use a little, a little more information on that. How about you? Nope. <laughs> right on, right? Get angry and do not sin, or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. All right, that sounds like a pretty deep topic. Can you tell me a little more about that, Paul? Nope. <laughs> you know, right down the road. <clears throat> Here's another one. Do not be drunk with wine. Um, which uh, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Is that what being filled with the Spirit is all about, Paul? Could you give me a little more info on that? Nope. Down the road. So this is, these are just typical, and there are just going to be time. We're going to go through them. There's some kind of lengthy passages that we're going to walk through them, but we're just going to read through them. I'm just going to do it like Paul did it. Right? If it was good enough for Paul, thought it would be good enough for Pastor Steve, I would think. Right? <laughs> so... Um, that's, that's going to be our goal this morning is to try to cover a, a lot of ground. But, if, but again, if you remember, sit, walk, stand. It's almost like if you memorize Psalm 1, and many I know have, right? you got sit, walk, and stand in Psalm 1. Right? Bless the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful. So if you know Psalm 1, you've got the right words, you just got the wrong order. It's interesting that in Psalm 1, you've got a guy who is walking, and he winds up sitting in the seat of the scornful. In other words, his forward progress has stopped while he has become attentive to the sinners and the ungodly people around him. This is a different thing. This starts in a position of sitting and rest, and we'll talk more about that in, a, in the next number of moments. And then, we're, then we want to receive communion together and celebrate um, our covenant relationship with Christ. Let's take a moment and... Uh, commit this time to the Lord. What a blessing it is to have you all here. Praise God. What a blessing that we're all gathered together. You take some time here this morning to be instructed in the Word of God, to be refreshed and, 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 and edified and built up and encouraged by the Word of God before we have to go back out into this crazy, stupid world, <laughs> right, to, be, to, to get our focus set. Father God, we want to thank you for all that you have given to us, this whole place, all the stuff that is here, mu musicians and musical instruments and PA and all the helpers that we have, all the programs that are going on, children's programs and all the things that happen here, all of these seats, all of this furniture, all of this stuff, everything has been made available to us through you and through your goodness, through your mercy and grace. And so we can, I can do a little but thank you for all that you have provided and blessed us with. And uh, Lord, as we get now, take time to, to get into your word, we ask that you uh, settle upon us by the Holy Spirit, inhabit us by the Holy Spirit, because the only way we're really going to get this is if the Holy Spirit serves it up. We can speak it in words of human language, but it's you who take that thing down to the innermost core of our being, down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, down to where we really live, and you unmask all of the hypocrisies and you to speak the truth to the, 
to the center of our life. So we thank you so much that you have brought us into your family, all that has been accomplished on our behalf so that we can be a part of this eternal family that you are building. Speak to us this morning, guide us, lead us. May Jesus be exalted and glorified, for it is in his name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so sit, walk, and stand is where we're going here this morning. Um, Now, if, if you are... Um, astute, or if you've been around maybe for a while, in other words, you've been a believer for a while, and you've done some reading, you might recognize that Pastor Steve ripped off those three words from a great, um, a great book that was written in the 20th century. Okay, the, the book is Sit, Walk, and Stand, and it's by the famous, the wonderful Watchman Nee, right? A famous Chinese pastor and evangelist who... Uh, worked in China, really began the house church movement in China, got saved in 1920, served the Lord extensively throughout China, starting a, a house, uh, started doing a great deal of evangelism, house movement. He was arrested in 1952 when the, uh, uh, when the Great Leap Forward was happening in China, the Great Cultural Revolution. He was arrested and spent the rest of his life in jail, um, falsely arrested, falsely imprisoned, simply because he loved the Lord, and uh, died there in, I think, 19... 71 or 72 or something like that, but a great man. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, and Stand, and it is all about these particular aspects of the book of Ephesians and how, if you understand that concept, you will understand a whole section. So that's what we want to take a look at because that will help us to kind of get our heads back into this, uh, this whole thing, you know, back into uh, uh, this whole document and, and, and get the big picture. So what do we have here? All right. Well, um, okay, the, the first starting point, the first, the first word that we want to focus on here is, is the word sit, okay? Now, sit, or to be seated, or to get a good seat, is usually like a special benefit or blessing, am I right? In other words, if there's a special event, and you get a good seat at it, that's really a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it's almost as good as coming to church on Sunday morning and being able to get the best seat in the back row. It's just the way that it is. The church environment has its own unique idiosyncratic aspects to it. And Tim, there you are, baby, huh? That nails you this morning. Anyway, right? But if, if you get, it reminded me of um, probably about 10 years ago, I took my mom and dad and my kids to see the Yankees. So we all went to Yankee Stadium. And uh, of course, if I'm buying that many seats to go see the Yankees, you know they are nosebleeds somewhere, right? So we're way up there in the ether over third base, you know, uh, way up high in the upper deck. And so I said to my youngest daughter, Manny, he said, hey, man, let's go for a walk and just kind of let's, let's, let's get a better view of the field and stuff like that. So we go walking down. And you can't get too close. You can't get in where the seats are. But you can kind of walk around the, the aisleway. So we're walking around. And some guy walks up to me, or we're somewhere kind of behind home plate, and he says, hey, you want some really good seats? Sure. Hands me four tickets right behind the Yankee dugout. Now that's prime real estate, right? Right behind the Yankee dugout. My, so Manny and I go down, and we, we're sitting right there, and I'm thinking, like, this is insane. You know, but the guy had to go somewhere, and uh, so he gave, me, gave us this. So I go, I go back up, I get my mom and dad, we come down, and here we are. We are in the best seat in the house, pretty much. I mean, the only better seat than that was somebody could say, you want to sit in the dugout? Right? But I mean, you're watching all the guys come in and out. And, okay, to top the whole 
um, event off, at the end of this whole thing, we're, we're just still sitting here blown away by the, this, this incredible good fortune of getting these special seats um, behind the dugout. And um, the, the pitchers are coming in from the bullpen, and we're talking, stuff like that. And one of the pitchers says to my um, daughter, Manny, hey, kid. And she turns around, and he goes, and throws her a ball. And it's like, come on, it doesn't get any better than this. I got the picture to prove it. So it, it was an amazing thing. But getting, the, I'm bringing that up to say that the place where you are seated is a very important place, especially if it's a seat of honor, right? So what I want to bring to your attention this morning is something that is said of the Lord Jesus in chapter 1 in terms of the seat of honor that he now occupies, okay? He occupies the prime seat in all of the universe. Here's how it's presented to us. Now, Paul, in the first chapter, has told us all kinds of things about who we now are in Christ. And then he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be opened. The spirit of wisdom and revelation will be upon you. You'll, you'll understand this thing by the Spirit. And there are three things that he lists, and here they are. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So Christ now sits in the exclusive seat of honor. He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And of course, there's symbolism behind that whole, God doesn't have hands, so to speak. But the symbolism is if, if you were at the right hand of somebody, you were their power person or you were their, you were their delegated person. You were the, you were the, the, the chosen individual um, ca- to carry out, that, out the, uh, to exercise the power of that throne. And of course, that's where Jesus is at. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, all authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the last statement of Jesus, having triumphed victoriously at Calvary on the cross, he now has all authority, and that's pictured for us in, this, in the, this, this image that is kind of given to us, that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> um, so that's, that's the starting point. Um, <clears throat> now with that in mind, with the fact that Jesus now has been elevated or been situated or positioned, might be the way to say it, positioned at this ultimate place of supreme um, power, I want you to notice what then is said of us in chapter 2. Oh, this thing is working like a dream. Bless you, my son. (laughs) I got to tell you, just as an aside, the people back there who do the stuff, that's all the techno stuff, that is like such a major ministry. And it, it doesn't really get seen very much. You know, Greg is back there. You know, usually hiding back there someplace. No, that, that ministry back there makes it all happen, makes all this happen, makes all the, and when it doesn't happen, it's kind of just, it's a nightmare. So God bless you and all the people behind there. It is, it, 
tell them at some point that you appreciate their service for the Lord. It's easy to look at me. Amen. You know, I'm real obvious, but they do stuff that's real hidden. Anyway, notice, though, what we read about in the second chapter. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you gotta, you got to take that in for a second, okay? You have to think about that. In giving us new birth, okay, when you are saved, you are born of God or begotten of God. You get a new life from God. You are born again of the Spirit. This, it, it isn't just a matter of being intellectually convinced about something. You, you and I have been given a brand new life. He actually starts chapter 2 off like that. He says, but you who were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now rules in, those, in the hearts of those who are disobedient. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins. So it's important that you were as dead as you, spiritually dead as, all of us were as spiritually dead, meaning that we were entirely without consciousness or awareness of God. No God awareness whatsoever, banging around in a world, making one stupid mistake, one selfish mistake after the next, right? Just, just like wrecking our lives because we just don't know. You don't know who God is. You don't know what life is all about. You, you just don't know the story. And so he says, but you who were dead in your trespasses or your transgressions and sins, you he made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And as if that was not. So the, so the Lord did for us the same thing he did for Jesus. Jesus, after his crucifixion, was dead, like absolutely dead. No swoon, no, he didn't faint. He, he was dead, as, as dead as could be. That last jab in the, um, in the side with that spear, that, was, that, that, that pierced the pericardium anyway. So there's no possibility that he was not dead. He was dead. They put him in the tomb. He was three days in the tomb, and then he came back fully alive. The same thing, he, and then God raised him from the dead. That's, that's a better way of saying it. God raised him out of that state of death and back to life, and then he came back to be he back here um, in our world again and, and to, uh, to continue his ministry. All of that is the exact same thing that God has done for us. But you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, you he has made alive. In other words, we, have, we were dead, but God now has made us alive. He has made us alive via the power of the Holy Spirit, and we now have new life. <clears throat> he raised us from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. He, um, we, we, were, we were, in essence, co-crucified with Christ. We were crucified together with Christ. We were co-buried with Christ. We were, and then we have been co-resurrected with Christ. Romans chapter 6 and 4 says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried, buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we also should walk in a new kind of life. 
Okay, so we were crucified together with Christ. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 2 and 20? 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I. It's Christ who is living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see him connecting with all that? In other words, everything that happened to Christ happened to all of us who have become followers of Christ. We, have, we, we are completely identified with his life, his death, his resurrection. When Christ died, we died. When Christ was buried, we were buried. When Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected. We are now co-glorified and just awaiting that final gathering when we will be um, ultimately brought together in, in, the, in the eternal kingdom, right? waiting for that final word, or that that final experience of being glorified together with Christ. As believers, we are united with Christ in an eternal covenant. This is is so important. We are united with Christ in an eternal covenant. And there's an illustration of it we'll get to in a a second. All those in Christ are are in an intimate, solemn, binding, and eternal covenant together with Christ. We are eternally in union with him. We are eternally identified with him. In essence, we are married to Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you are married to Jesus Christ. That is the nature of the, uh, of the connection, of the covenant. It's illustrated by the, by the idea or the covenant of marriage, which will be, actually, it, that is exactly what Paul says if, if when we get to uh, chapter 5, and Paul says, he's talking about husbands and wives, and husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, and wives, you respect your husbands. We're going to get into all of that, so some good things to look forward to. We want to hit on these marriage issues, right? But he says, he, he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. They too shall become this. Now he says, this is a great mystery. And the next line, this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Now, the reality of the two becoming one flesh, this is the most important aspect to grasp about marriage. I was talking to somebody this week, and, you know, we all have problems in our marriages at different times and fights and stuff like that, right? And I was talking to somebody, and, and, they were, and I offered, I said, if, 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 you were, um, if your spouse would be okay with it, I'm happy to provide whatever, what counseling I can offer. And, and they were a little concerned, they, they were concerned that their spouse would think that I was just taking one side or the other. And I said, let me tell you, if, if I'm doing marriage counseling, what I'm presenting is a biblical picture of what marriage was created or intended to be. It has nothing to do with my opinion. It simply has to do with what the scripture, what the word of God says. And if you want your marriage to work, you have to build it according to the divine pattern, or you're just trying to reinvent something and it's going to crash. It's not going to be a happy, successful, fruitful, long-lasting, joyful, cooperative endeavor it's going to have problems left and right. People will say, well, you know, the real problem in marriage is always finances. Or real problems in, problems in marriage, people are always arguing, fighting about sex. No, that both of those things are wrong. 
the real problem in marriage is that there are still two individuals, separate individuals, who have not seen the vision yet of what God sees when you said, when you made vows to one another, because when you made vows to one another, God took two people and made one person out of them. Unfortunately, the thing's still like wearing two heads. <laughs> Anything with two heads is a monster, right? Right? But that's, that is the problem in marriage because if we see the vision as God sees it, then it's, I'm all in. I'm all in for, for the well-being, for God's best for this thing. And I hold nothing back. There's, I'm keeping nothing for me. All my money, all my time, everything that I have is on the table, and that's how it's supposed to work. And when a husband and a wife do that, and they completely unite together to, um, to, to unite in the, in the will and purpose of God, that thing is unbreakable. And it will be fruitful. And it will not be um, characterized by fighting and arguing and squabbles and all that. No. There'll be none of that. No, I shouldn't say none. Even, it's funny that when Lorraine and I fight, it's, it's like stupid. You know, we'll sit there and get into some like ridiculous little spat or some ridiculous little thing, you know. And it'll take about five minutes. Either in five minutes, I, we both have forgotten it. That's kind of part of the age group that we're in now, you know. It's just, Poof, you know, things don't really hang around that long. Or, or within a few minutes, you, you really say, am I really fighting with you about this silly little thing? Right? It's like, it's, a, it's so ridiculous. So, but I, I'm, if the more you, the more that we apply the truth of what God says to the marriage, because it doesn't matter what I want my marriage to be. It matters what God says he created marriage for. And if I, if I, uh, submit myself to that reality, and my spouse does, then we're going to have a fruitful, long-lasting, happy marriage. I, I'll tell you a little joke. Um, I, I tell this one at weddings, so if you've been to a wedding that I've done, you may have heard this one, you know. But one of the, the topic of my um, marriage message is usually, you know, what is the secret of a long-lasting, happy, fulfilling, satisfying marriage? And I talk about different people, you know, Henry Ford had something to say about that, Albert Einstein had something to say about that. But the best ones, the best, best advice I ever got came from my, my mother, who was sitting over there, wave your hand, Mom. There you go. And my father, who now is with the Lord. And uh, I said, because they actually they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary here, and we kind of went through the vows again, just to make sure. Nail that thing down. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, asked my, I asked my dad, Dad, what's the secret to, to the, your long-lasting happy family? And he said, well, he says, Steve, you know, when I, when I met your mother, I said, I fell in love with her. I said, Jean, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. And she turned to me and she said, Steve, I feel the same way. I love you so much. There is, there's, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. So he said, we just spent the last 50 years doing nothing for each other. <laughs> I shouldn't. I need to get back to my stuff here. <clears throat> okay. So we are married to Christ. Think of that. In other words, our, our separate identity, our former identity has been it's gone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If I'm still holding on to my old goals, my old um, desires, my, you know, my, my old former, if I'm still building my own little you know, uh, kingdom down here on planet Earth, I am missing the boat because God is doing his own thing. 
He's got plans of his own. I want to be on board with that because that plan is going to stand. If I'm still doing my own thing, I'm going to die and leave it all behind. That's all. No matter how much money I make, how many toys I get, you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. So you can't keep any of it anyway. So the best thing is to abandon my plan, my goals, my dreams, my vision, all that stuff. Abandon that. Let me get on board with what the Lord is doing. So that's what it means to be married to Christ. We're in an unshakable union with him. <clears throat> we are now one flesh. So proper understanding of what God is doing in our lives and what it means to be born again or saved or to be a new creation begins with the realization that we are now in an entirely new position before God. Prior to receiving Christ, our position before God, we were children of wrath under the condemnation of the law of God. No exceptions. Every human being. Once we have come to Christ, upon receiving Christ, we are now seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. Seated implies rest, doesn't it? If you if you, um, you know the uh, the old in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, the one thing that was not in the t- in the tabernacle was a chair. Okay, there was articles of furniture, but there was never a chair. Why? Because the work was never done. There was never a place. It was never time to sit down. It had to go on and on and on until Christ came along. Then Christ goes to the cross. He says, it is finished. And now we read that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay? So seated implies rest. It, It implies that the ceasing of like laborious striving and activity. Okay, and that's the same thing. We come to Christ. He says, come unto me, all you that, weary, that are weary and heavy, heavily laden, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> um, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? <clears throat> so the Lord brings rest into our life. To, become, to be a spiritual person is not to strive to try to be something. It is to rest and let God work that out through us. But it is also to cease. The book of Hebrews says, he that has rested has ceased from his own labors as God has ceased from his. And we are admonished in the fourth chapter, I think, of Hebrews to enter into it. Let us therefore give all diligence that we may enter into that rest, that rest where God is utterly like provider and source for our life. So seated implies rest. So we are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. That's now who we are. That is now our position before God. It is so important because if I still think I, I got to climb the ladder, I got to earn something, I got to earn God's favor, no, it can never happen. The irony is that when, 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 we ent- when we enter into the reality or the understanding of this, and when life is tuned to say, well, I, I want to know in this, in this, uh, chapter, it says, find out what pleases the Lord, or discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, as I, as I really try to live this thing, live a, as I really try to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, what I find out is that, boy, I'm blowing this thing left and right. See, when I'm, when I'm a lost pagan sinner, I think I'm a good person. Is that bizarre? Right? If you ask the average person in the mall today, are you, are you a good person? They'll absolutely tell you they are, right? Where, in fact, God, God says, no, you're a wicked, corrupt sinful rebel. That's what we are, right? But I think I'm a good person when I'm, when I'm lost in my sins. It's when I come to the Lord and I want to be a good person, I find out what a, what a challenge that is. Thank God. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Amen. Oh, what did we just do here? Okay.
So, we are seated together. It is, it is, um, it is essential that we, uh, that we understand this. I've got to move along here. Okay, the second word or concept that guides the next section of this letter is the word walk. So we got sit. I'm seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. Now the next word is walk. And it, um, it comes out right away in, the, in chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In the New Testament, walk is used in a metaphorical way. In the sense, it means to follow a certain course of behavior or, or a course of life or to conduct, to conduct oneself in a certain way. <clears throat> Excuse me. It refers to one's lifestyle. It refers to one's behavior. In chapters 4 and 5, Paul addresses a whole palette of behavioral or lifestyle issues. They're like, they're like housekeeping issues as I see it. He's just going to roll through those things, as I said at the beginning. He's just going to plow through all of these different things about anger and not being a thief and working with your hands as boom, 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 all these things. And again, we're either going to pull them all apart and try to create messages around each one or just kind of bundle them all together. But here's the text as, uh, as Paul lays it out there. So we'll go with Paul. I, I think I bombed this because the last couple of uh, portions I didn't put in. So one demerit for Pastor Steve. Here we go. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So you begin to see what I'm saying, that there's just so much here, so many little points, little bullet points, that it just would be very difficult to make every one of these a sermon. On to chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he's talking about, this is the way, you know, when he writes to Timothy, he says, I'm writing to you to tell you or to show you how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, right? This is the way the, the culture of the church should look. This is the type of behavior, the type of demeanor, right? This is, this is the way that we should walk. And again, we are 
on the hook. Well, you know, sometimes people on the outside think that what we have here is we have this get out of hell free card. Okay? So I can just sin all I want to. Is why I can just sin and then I just say to God, I'm sorry. And, and, that's, and you know something? That is true. That is true. If you, you can wander from God for 20 years and go off into the craziest, most debauched lifestyle, if you genuinely at the end of that say, God, I, I'm, I'm done with this, I've returned to you, I want to serve you, you know what? You'll be forgiven. It's an amazing thing. And sometimes people on the outside think that we take that as license, okay? We take the grace of God as a license to sin. But it never is. It never is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that spirit of holiness that is in there, right? When he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit um, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It is that Holy Spirit that is constantly inside going like, hey, stupid. <laughs> You're acting like a fool. <laughs> That's not the way I want you to, right? It's a constant thing. Now, the Bible says, the Spirit of God says, he will not always strive with man. But at the moment... He's willing to just strive with us and put up with us. And so all of these things are constantly being brought to our attention to live a certain, to live an extraordinary life so as to honor the Lord. That is really what we are called to, to live an extraordinary life so as to honor the Lord and so as to be able to be his witnesses in this world. Right? If I live a life that's all, like, if my life is no different than anybody else that I know, then how is my witness of any value, right? My life, if my life is as broken and as hurt, hurt like broken down and, and corrupted and all of that as everybody else's life, then I don't have anything to say. I've lost my witness anyway. Got to keep moving here. So, where are we? This might be where we glitch out. Oh, I'm loving this thing. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ah, okay, there's a couple more that we have to um, read. I have to read because I didn't put them in. Okay, um, take no part in the unfruitful word of works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart um, uh, to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, we just covered a ton of ground, did we not? Right, in terms of all the behavioral issues that he just brought up, I mean, it was like, drinking from the fire hose, right? Boom, 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 boom. And, and he's not going off and giving any explanations. He's just, he's, and, and I'm, I'm presuming that you noticed that the word walk 
came up in a number of places there. Let me show you um, where it's actually, um, how, or where it's actually, or what, what we're actually uh, told, to, or how our walk is supposed to be shaped. First, we're to walk in unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One Lord, one faith, one God, and Father of us all. So we're to walk in unity. We, we did a message on that. We are to walk in purity. You just heard all those exhortations about there being no sexual immorality in our midst. No, no person who's a sexual predator. All that stuff should be off the table. It, none of that is, can be part of the, the church family. <clears throat> and, it, and it's a thing that we have to deal with all the time. You've got to work at that all the time, especially those, uh, the men, because we, we, you know, we wire, we're wired in such a way that sexual interests are like, it's a natural thing all the time. And you're constantly having to go like, it's your, it's your thinking right there, Pastor Steve. That doesn't happen to you, I'm sure. But, you know, that's <laughs> happened to me like maybe once or two. Oh, man. Okay, walk in unity, walk in purity. We're told to walk in love. We're told to walk in the light. We're told to walk carefully. Uh, making the best use of our time. We're told to walk in harmony. This is what we'll be talking about shortly. Husbands, to live in harmony with wives. Parents, living in harmony with children. Masters, living together in harmony with servants. And then finally in chapter 6, we are shown how to walk in victory. Okay? Sit, walk, and then stand. Right? Stand will come up in chapter 6, where he says, Having done all... Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, holding up the, uh, sword, the, the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And all that we're going to talk about this whole armor of God, which, which we must be clad with in order to, or which, which we must be attired with in order for us to, have vic- to be victorious over the, the, over the devil. I've, there's been, I've heard so much teaching in the last 40 years of being saved about spiritual warfare, and a lot of it is really sensational, but a whole lot of it is not very biblical. It's, this, is not a, this is not a power struggle. I've got to shout this thing out with the devil. I've got to name him, and I've got to cast him. Like, that's not the name of the game. This is a truth matter, okay? He's a liar, and God wants me to walk in the truth. That's where the game is being played. And that's where, that's where the real struggle is, and that's what, that's what goes on. So anyway, we'll be getting into that because we'll be looking at that whole chapter 6, which is, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, that whole thing. So that's all coming. So we're going to talk in, in the weeks to come about marriage and issues with marriage. That, I'm sure, will be an encouragement to you. We'll talk then about spiritual victory, spiritual warfare, and how God can program us for success there. Good stuff, huh? Sit, walk, stand. Just those three. Now, here I got an assignment for you. I want you to go back this week. I want you to, every day, I want you to read Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, okay? Take it seriously, all right? Do that because I am your pastor, all right? What good is my job? If I can't give some orders, I, somebody's probably thinking, hey, Pastor Steve, this homeschool co-op thing is going to your head. <laughs> you know, now I'm back in the mode of, like, giving homework again, <laughs> What fun it is. <clears throat> no, but that would be a really good assignment. Read um, Ephesians 4 and, and 5, and you'll be ramped up for some of the stuff that we're going to look at. And God, will, and God will speak to you through his word. That's how it's supposed to work. So that's what's coming. Sit, walk, stand. Let's take a moment, pray, and then we're going to uh, receive communion together. What we're going to do is we're going to celebrate this covenant, this, this fact that we're married to Jesus Christ and we will be forever. Hallelujah. What a great, wonderful reality that is for us. Lord, 
It's no wonder that your word says that we should be overflowing with thanksgiving because the longer we're in this thing, the more incredible it all becomes. And the more we yield ourselves over to you, the more th this picture becomes really clear. And it is just amazing how fortunate and blessed we are because we belong to you. We got the golden ticket. We've won the lottery. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How, how blessed are we? So we want to thank you, Lord. And it is our privilege. We get to walk in a way that is worthy. We get to do that. We don't have to do that. We are privileged and honored and blessed to do that. And, and we can do that. We can't do it perfectly. We try. We can't do it perfectly. We make a lot of mistakes along the way. But we can't be apathetic. We can't be complacent. We can't surrender to complacency. We want to please you with our lives and be influential in the lives of others that are around us. So thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us into your family, for providing a cleansing for forgiveness that is good yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, thank you, Lord God, that our names have been written in your book. And so, Lord, as we continue this walk, continue to direct and guide us and lead us in the way of life and the way everlasting. We give you thanks for all the good things that will be forthcoming. We ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and everybody said...